Are you a professional woman who wants to create passive income streams and financial freedom through real estate investing? Join us here on Real Estate Investor Goddesses, hosted by Monique Holm. Listen to women who are rocking it in real estate investments as they share their stories of success, failures, and best advice in real estate investing. Start creating real wealth through real estate. Tune in today. Here's your host, real estate investor, syndicator, and developer, Monique Holm. Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I am your host, Monique Hom. On this show, I interview amazing, badass women real estate investors, women that are crushing it in the real estate space. And I am super, super duper excited today to have with us Avery Carl, who is such a superstar and is so inspiring. And for anybody who is listening, who thinks, man, I am maybe too young or I don't have enough money or I don't know how to, there's, it's not possible for me to get into this game. Then this is an interview that is going to, it's going to really inspire you. And, uh, and you'll feel really encouraged to know that you can do it too. As Avery bought her first rental property at age 26 with only a $37,000 annual salary. And then through strategically investing in short-term rental properties in mature vacation rental markets, she became a millionaire by 31. She now owns a portfolio of 24 properties. She's a CEO and founder of The Short-Term Shop. It's a real estate team that helps investors acquire short-term rental properties in the most recession-resistant markets. And we'll talk more about that. And she trains the, the buyers on methods that led her out of the corporate rat race and into financial freedom. I'm so excited to have her. Welcome, Avery. Thank you. I actually need to update my bio because I've now got 96 doors, not just 24. So. Wow. That's a little better. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite almost, almost fourfold increase. Yeah. <laughs> so night. Yeah. 96. Wow. So amazing. Now so tell us, how did you get started? So you were 26, you're young, you're not making that much money. How'd you get into real estate? Okay. So my husband and I moved to Nashville from New York city. And when we went to buy a house, I didn't have my real estate license yet. We went to buy a house and our agent at the time was trying to get us to buy in this like really hipster, fast appreciating area of Nashville. And we were like, eh, we just came from Brooklyn. We don't want neighbors. We want to go out in the country. We want to be by ourselves. So we bought out in the country, but we, uh, we did say, well, you know, maybe there's something to that buying a property over there where it's appreciating really quickly. And so we thought, well, let's buy one of those because we had a little money left. So we said, let's buy one. And maybe our future children, by the time they go to college, it will have appreciated enough to, to pay for their college. So the dumbest reason to invest in anything ever, you don't ever want to invest based on appreciation, but that's what we did because we didn't know any better. Luckily, it was a really great property. And uh, the mortgage on that was 695, 645, excuse me, dollars a month. And we rented it out for $1,500 a month. So pretty nice. good cash flow on the first one. Yeah. So we got that first rent check. We were like, Oh, okay. This is cool. We want more of these. Let's build a business around this. So then we started consuming all the content and listening to all the podcasts and reading all the books and actually educating ourselves on it. We didn't even know it was called real estate investing when we bought our first one. So we had just enough of a down payment left for one more small single family. And we thought, okay, what can we buy that's going to make us the most amount of money, the fastest so that we can go buy more 
properties more quickly. So we landed on short-term rentals, didn't want to do it in Nashville because the regulations are just crazy. It's way too volatile. Things are always changing. So we said, well, where can we go that this is not going to be an issue? So we landed on the Smoky Mountains, which is three hours east of Nashville. And that's a place where everybody that goes there rents cabins on an overnight basis. Somebody owns these cabins. Why not us? So we went and bought a cabin. And again, didn't really know what we were doing. Didn't have any mentorship, just kind of figured it out as we went. And we quickly scaled that one cabin into five over the next year and a half. And during that time, about on our second purchase there, we realized there's not really any agents around here that can tell us anything about managing a short-term rental or how much they should be able to make or anything, give any sort of insight or advice on that. So I got my license and became that agent, bridged that gap. And the short-term shop was born. Now we have offices in six markets. We've sold just under a half a billion dollars in short-term rentals this year to date. So we've helped, a, yeah, we've helped a lot of investors get into the same game as us. And then now that we have 96 stores, we would not have been able to scale our portfolio from zero to 96 in five years if we had not started with short-term rentals because they just cash flow so much heavier than your traditional long-term rental that uh, we just wouldn't have been able to do it as quickly. And only eight of our doors are short-terms. The rest are long-term. So we use the short-terms to scale into more traditional passive forms of real estate but so we kind of coach people how to self-manage those remotely without the use of a property manager so that they too can, you know, squeeze every last dollar out of those properties and then go buy more of, you know, whatever type of real estate they want to buy. So one of the things that I wanted to highlight under the lab, but one in particular <laughs> was you did not invest in Nashville where you were living at, for the short-term rental because of the regulations and you went to a different market. I live in Los Angeles, which is, you know, effectively banned short-term rentals as separate properties. Um, can't do that. That is an issue for you know, a variety of different markets. How do you, how do you suggest, or how do you look for markets that are going to be very amenable to this type of investment? So there's the easy answer. And then there's the other answer. So the easy answer is go on Google and look. But the other answer, which is how we came to it, because when we started, there weren't all these lists on Google of best places to invest in short-term rentals like there are now. So we thought of places that I went when I was a kid or that my husband went when he was a kid with his parents, where we rented a house or a condo and not a hotel. So a lot of these are regional drivable vacation rental markets. So I mean, think mountain markets, beach markets, lake markets, national park markets. Those are areas where historically, typically in most of them, you definitely have to do your research. People have been coming and renting single family homes or condos rather than hotels for decades and decades. So I'm in markets. The six markets that we're in are the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, Blue Ridge area in Georgia. So North Georgia mountains, Gulf Shores, Alabama, the Emerald Coast in Florida, so Destin, 30A, Panama City Beach, Forgotten Coast, which is Cape Sandblast, Port St. Joe, St. George Island, Mexico Beach, and then the Disney market in Orlando. So with the exception of Orlando, all of these are areas that don't have a lot of hotels. They really don't have many primary residents either because the entire they're economically dependent on the tourism industry. And so these are areas where people have been coming. Like my grandmother has been renting vacation houses in Destin since the forties. Uh, people wow. have been renting cabins in the Smoky Mountains since the sixties. So 
These are areas where short-term rentals were a thing well before Airbnb came on the scene, even the internet in a lot of cases. So these are places where the local cities and counties figured out how to monetize the short-term rentals with a small occupancy tax decades ago. So those rules are very well established. They fought those battles a long time ago, whereas your Nashvilles and LAs are fighting this battle now or as of the past 10 years, because typically when people have gone to vacation in those markets, they will have stayed in hotels. And the short-term rental thing is new as of the past 15 years in Airbnb. So we look for markets where the short-term rental has kind of predated Airbnb. And typically, not all the time, but typically those are going to be the most friendly for regulations. Such good advice. Uh, we, a couple of years ago, we bought a, in a mountain town, a big bear outside of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's great. And, it's, and we, we went for that reason because we knew like most of this, <laughs> most of Big Bear Lake are those, cab- are those like, cabins that people rent out. And so that's not going anywhere the property owners wouldn't have it. So that is one for, you know, for those listening, when you're going into vacation rentals, the location is really, really important. So super, super great. Let me ask you a question. I always, this is my favorite question because I find that we get so much more insights and <laughs> learning from when things don't go well than when they do. So what would you say was your biggest mistake and what did you learn from it? I think The mistakes that we have made in our investing journey have been more centered around having sold things we shouldn't have sold. We've got a few things. So especially one in particular, the very first house that we ever bought, I regret selling that all the time. We made, I mean, probably 75,000 off of it, but it was a pretty high cash flow rental. And now that it's gone, we're like, eh, why did we do that? That was dumb. (laughs) So we haven't made any major mistakes in terms of the actual acquiring the acquisition of properties yet. But I think we've never looked at each other and said, oh man, I wish we hadn't bought this property. We've only looked at each other and said, oh man, I wish we wouldn't have sold that. I have some of those too. It's like, (laughs) I know then what I know now, I'd still own that property. That, you know, this was part of it. And wouldn't have sold, in your case, you wouldn't have sold that one because of the cash flow. Cash flow. And then, so it's in a town about... 19 miles north of Nashville, that there's a lot of development going on. And we paid 165 for it. And it was so cute and on a an acre surrounded by farmland. So it looks like you live on a farm, but you don't have to maintain the farm. And a lot of the development is just going that way. And if we would have held on to it for longer, I mean, it's going to be worth quite a bit at some point in the next, you know, five, 10 years, it'll be quite a bit more. So just, you know. Like we didn't have to sell it. So why did we do that? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. So it was already cash flowing a lot. It was in the path of progress and there was a lot of appreciation to come. So, all right. And what are you most proud of? I am most proud of my kids. (laughs) Uh, They're awesome. They're three and one. And I'm most proud of the fact that my husband and I decided we didn't want to be sitting at desks all day and we didn't want you know, to be sitting at a desk all day, working for someone else, taking time away from our kids. And so now we have gotten ourselves into a position that we can, you know, wake up at four o'clock in the morning, do some things, you know, work out before the kids get up. And then we can get all of our work done while they're at preschool or while my three-year-olds at preschool. And now we can do things like take the kids to the beach after school or the park, or, you know, we can be completely 100% present when the kids are home from school and that's that was really important to me. And I think a lot of people want to do that and can never quite figure out how to do it. And so I'm very proud of us for being able to figure that out while the kids are still really young. 
sounds like you set yourself up well before you had them with the, with the real estate. So that's amazing. And to what do you attribute your success? You've done so much in a relatively small amount of time. To what do you attribute your success? I mean, it's probably a specific set of neuroses. <laughs> um, but my husband and I are both have the same mindset. And so I would say neither of us, like I know I would be sitting in a desk for the rest of my life if I didn't have him and he would be doing something similar, I'm sure. So I attribute our success to our partnership that neither of us would have been able to do what we've done on our own or even with any other partner even. So having the right support system and you know choosing the right partner has been really, really, uh, really instrumental for both of us into getting our family where we want to be. I love that. My husband and I teach a real estate investor soulmate retreats, like teaching couples how to invest together in real estate investing. And so I'm always curious to, to find, to hear from people who are working super well in, in couples together. What is, what would you say helps you and your husband be so successful as a partnership? A lot of people have asked me that. And I don't have the answer to that because we both just kind of went, do you want to do this? Yeah, let's do this. And there was no, there's no one of us like trying to convince the other one and trying to get somebody on board and trying to explain why it's a good idea. We were just like, cool, we're doing this. Great. Let's go. <laughs> so I just don't have any advice on that. Unfortunately, you were both me, on the like, same page. Yeah. <laughs> and then in terms of how you guys work together, do you have a division of labor? Is there certain things you do, certain things he does, or how do you work together? Yeah, we do. And it just kind of came organically. We didn't say, okay, I'm going to do this and you're going to do this. So the way that it works is I've always been the one to kind of choose the markets. I'll be like, oh, you know, I think this is a good market. Let's look at this. And so I kind of pick the market and start kind of picking the, not the houses because he kind of does that now, but I'll say like, oh, you know, maybe multi, maybe we should get into multifamily in this market. Maybe we should buy a short-term rental in that market, or maybe we should stick with single families and duplexes in this market. So I kind of do that front end stuff. And then he like all the systems on the back end. So he's running, he's managing all the properties. He's, you know, doing the rehabs and then on the sales side of the business. So I'm doing all the real estate sales. He's the one, since he is in the nuts and bolts of the management of our properties, he's the one that teaches all of our clients how to manage everything. So everything's kind of a 50-50 partnership. And I'm definitely more of like the people person and he's more of the engineer type. So it's just kind of fallen into the way that it is. That's cool. That's a similar to our my arrangement with my husband. I'm kind of more in the front facing people, and then he's operations. Yep, <laughs> getting things done. What advice do you have for a woman who's just starting out in this field? You just have to pull the trigger. You can analyze yourself into and out of properties a hundred times, and then never buy anything. At some point, you just have to close your eyes and hit go. Yeah, great advice. And what do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you now know? Uh, I wish I would have started earlier. So I lived in Austin for six years for college. So 18 to 24 and, uh, or sorry, 17 to 23. And a lot, I was bartending through college and a lot of my friends who were older, who were my colleagues were buying these $70,000 houses on the East side of Austin. And I thought, you know, I didn't think about real estate in the way that I do now. And I thought, well, you know, if it's not going to be like as nice as my parents' house, then why am I going to buy a house? You know, that's expensive. And I really, really wish I would have bought one of those $70,000 houses because now those are million dollar houses. <laughs> and, you know, even they're just, you know, 
three bedroom, two bath, little kind of mid-century houses. And now they're, they've just gone through the roof. So I really wish I would have started earlier. It's so funny you say that. That is such a common response to this to yeah. this question. <laughs> but you started at 26 and most people yeah. are like, like much later going, God, I wish I'd started in my 20s. <laughs> They're like, I wish I'd started when I was 19. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought, you know, buying a house was this big grandiose thing that people do. And I, it yeah. did not occur to me that, yes, you can qualify for a loan bartending in downtown Austin and that I could have gotten a, a house. It just seemed like too big of a thing for what I thought I was doing at the time. Yeah. Well, anyone young and listening, <laughs> it's time. But I, I think also real estate investing, this is like planting a tree. When's the best time? today. You know, what was the best time 20 years ago? The next best time is today. So yep. <laughs> it's always better if you could have done it earlier, but you have now. So yep. <laughs> exactly. get moving. All right. Well, before we get into our famed end of show Trinity, which is a brag, a gratitude and a desire, how can people connect with you to find out more about you and what you do? Right on my website, theshorttermshop.com. There is a, make sure you click the schedule a consultation button if you're interested in buying a property or if you just want to chit chat, my email is right on the front page, info at theshorttermshop.com or you can find me on Instagram at theshorttermshop. All right, awesome. Okay, so now it's time for the Trinity. What is one thing you are celebrating right now? What is your brag? I have a book coming out in three weeks on Bigger Pockets Publishing called Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth. So uh, that's my brag. Well, brag. <laughs> so great. And what's one thing you're grateful for? I am grateful for, I mean, really just opportunity and having been raised by people who kind of taught me to, to grab opportunity, to take an opportunity as it comes along. My parents, I think, did a really great job of instilling confidence in us kids to make us, you know, give us the ability to, to open the door when opportunity knocks and not be scared to. Mm, beautiful. And last but not least, what's one thing you desire? Desire a ranch in Wyoming. <laughs> well, so shall your desire be or so much better than you can imagine. So thank you so much for being here today. That was awesome. I love such great advice. Thank you. So y'all, you can connect with uh, Avery at theshorttermshop.com. Yeah. And it sounds like she's the short-term shop all over the socials. So yep. you can find her and connect with me at reigoddesses.com and at reigoddesses on social media. There you'll find out about our our investor club, our investing opportunities, our education programs, and our upcoming events like our upcoming Real Estate Investor Soulmates Retreat. Definitely check us out there and make sure to subscribe and like so you don't miss another amazing Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast interview. Bye-bye. You have just listened to another episode of Real Estate Investor Goddesses a show dedicated to sharing stories of women creating real wealth through real estate. If you found value on what you just heard, feel free to share with your friends. Visit us at reigoddesses.com to learn more about our programs and live events, as well as to access other resources. Until next time.